Those of you that have your Bibles, whether physical or electronic, go with me, if you would, into 1 Kings chapter 19, a very familiar text, uh, the sto- part of the uh, story of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 9 to 18. And Elijah is one, is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He's not major because he, what he says is any better than any of the other prophets, um, or that he does greater works than any of the other prophets, but he is simply a major prophet because um, in terms of the amount of time given over to him in, ter- in the scripture, it's bigger than uh, most of the other prophets. And Elijah was a man who knows God. He'd seen the power of God at work in his life. Elijah was a man who, if you like, I suppose you could describe him as a man who was zealous for God after God's own heart. Elijah, to this point, had seen many great miracles of God. He had seen, he had been with the widow. You remember the widow who had had the flour and the oil and she was, she felt she was going to die and, and the oil and the flour just kept pouring and just kept fl- uh, flowing. And, and then the, um, Elijah has the, uh, the battle with the false prophets and we know this well where uh, Ahab who we are told was the worst of all the, the, the kings of Israel, of the nation, had led the nation into idol worship, and they were worshipping Baal. And uh, Elijah calls a, a contest, if you like, and he says, look, you worship Baal, bring all your false prophets, for, you know, 850 or so of them, bring them to the altar, uh, you know, call out to your God, pour on water, pour on more water, and if that's not enough, pour on more water, call on your God, and then he starts ridiculing their God and says, maybe, maybe he's asleep, maybe he's gone on holiday, maybe he's uh, in the toilet relieving himself, uh, nothing was happening, and then of course Elijah says, um, dedicates his altar to God, and that's interesting because even before Elijah does anything else, he dedicates the altar to God. And sometimes we can rush ahead and do, we know what we need to do and we just rush ahead and do it and we forget to actually include God in the first place. Elijah dedicates the altar to God. He says, put on it a a sacrifice, a a bull. Uh, And he says, don't bother putting, uh, or rather, he he, he puts uh, water on it and and, and so on. And then he calls down fire and the fire from heaven uh, comes and, and licks up the water. And then the 850 or so false prophets of Baal are put to death. Elijah has seen God move in very powerful ways. He knows God. He's seen God work in his life. And then we come to uh, this particular account in his life, picking up at verse 9. Speaking of Elijah, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out, And stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel." And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You know, memory is a great thing you know um we we you know god gives us memory in order that we can remember things to remind ourselves about who we are because that's you know our memories inform us about who we are as individuals the experiences that we've had but also our memories remind us about who god is our memories remind us about what God has done for us in the past and what we've seen God and how God has come through for us in the past. Our memories are vital to us in terms of remembering God. And Elijah here is in a situation where he seems to have forgotten who God is. He's seen the great works of God. He's seen the, the, the awesome display of God's power. And now Elijah finds himself in a position where he seems to have forgotten who God is. He's forgotten because he puts the prophets, the false prophets of Baal to death. And then Jezebel, Ahab's wife, says, listen, if I don't kill that man by this time tomorrow, then... Um, in effect, she's making a vow. And Elijah hears about it and runs for his life. Jezebel, it's, it, it, you know, the fact that she's a woman, I've heard some sermons make reference to the fact that she's a woman, it's, that's not the issue. The issue is she represents those things that we can so readily co co um, allow to cause fear and anxiety in our lives. He'd seen the power and the display of God's um, um, goodness, and yet he was running. You see, resting in God, he was distressed. And resting in God should be the place, should be our default place to go when our circumstances and our situations uh, um, become difficult and troublesome. I wonder how many of us, when we find ourselves in those difficult moments, in those um, challenging times, rather than going to God, like Elijah, find ourselves um, in a place that we shouldn't be. We find ourselves in a dark place. We find ourselves in a place where we become impotent, where we, we feel powerless. But our 
uh, our default place should be to rest in God. And Elijah had forgotten who God is. Elijah ends up in a cave, and the cave simply represents a place, any place that we ought not to be in. And God in that time speaks to Elijah and asks him a question. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And God is asking us the same question this morning. What are you doing here? And he's not asking you about what are you doing here because he knows what you're doing here. We know what we're doing here, hopefully. But what he's asking is he's asking what are you doing here? What's going on in here? What are you thinking? What are your thoughts toward me? Have you forgotten who I am? Solomon, David and Solomon, um, back down the line, had been good kings. And then the children come, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. And and as uh, the next generation came, they seemed to get further and further away from God to the point where it speaks of Ahab as being the worst of them. Worse than any that had gone before him. And maybe some of us find ourselves in that situation today where we have just seemed somehow we have just moved further and further away from God, not by um, choice, but we've allowed circumstance and situation to come into our lives and to, to chip away and to wear us down. And we find ourselves in a spiritual, if you like, cave. And we wonder how we've got there. We've forgotten what God is able to do. We've forgotten who he is. But listen, the more we know of God, the more we know of his grace, his faithfulness, his truth, his life, the way that he shows up in the circumstances of our life, the way that he nourishes us, the more we are able, the more we understand and know God and remember who God is, the more we are able to be stable when situations and troubles come. We are not called to be people who are tossed and thrown um, like the uh, the waves in the sea, I think James talks about. We are called to be a people who, when trouble comes, when situation and circumstance becomes difficult, we are called to be a people who stand and are firm because we know who God is. Elijah had forgotten who God is. And I wonder this morning, is there anyone in the house, is there anyone uh, online maybe watching that you just want to be stable? You want to know that whatever is happening around, that you're going to stand. The Bible tells us that's our default mode, that we will stand. I wonder if there's anyone here who is fed up of being tossed around by every uh, wind of circumstance and situation. Listen, if we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to be those that stand firm and hold when the situation and the circumstances come against us. Because we know who our God is. Resting, not running, is our default place. But sometimes we end up in our thinking in places that we ought not to be. We end up with attitudes that we ought not to have. And God asks us, what are you doing in this place?
What are you doing, Elijah? We can substitute our names for that. What are you doing here, Courtney? What are you doing here, Anthony? What are you doing here, Adrian, Philippa? We can substitute our names because God is speaking and God is asking us the same question. What are you doing here? In other words, what is the position, what's the spiritual position of your heart this morning? There's only been one time in my life where I've heard the audible voice of God. Um, I've been here long enough. Those of you that have been here long enough will know that I've shared this. Um, it, I was in the, in the darkest, the lowest part of my life. And I heard the audible voice of God outside of myself saying, Ian, what are you doing here? You're in a foreign land. You have no business here. Get up and go home. Leave this place. And God is speaking this morning. What are you doing here? Let's look at what Elijah says in verse 14. He says, watch this. He says, I have been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Listen, the first thing that happens when we move away from God is we get a wrong perspective. We get a wrong perspective. Look at the pronouns that he was using. And, you know, in this de uh, day and age where... You know, people talk about pronouns, you know, stuff that. And anyway, um, <laughs> you know, uh, in this day and age where people talk about pronouns, listen, look at what Elijah uh, is saying. The pronouns that he's using, I, my, me, he'd forgotten who God is and he'd lost focus because of the situation. He'd forgot that it wasn't about him, but actually it was about him. He'd lost his focus. I, 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 me, me, me. He had a wrong perspective, a wrong grasp of the situation. And he says twice uh, in verse 10 and 14, he says, I, only I. You see, that's what happens when we lose our focus on God, when we take our eyes off Jesus if we're not focusing on Jesus, the only other place that our focus goes is to self. We are selfish beings. Intrinsically selfish. It's all about me. And Elijah had taken his focus off God and consequently had a wrong perspective. He says, I, only I. How do we know that he had a wrong perspective? I'll tell you why. Because later on we learn that it wasn't just him. He thought he was the only one that was left. But we see later on that actually there was some seven and a half thousand other or prophets just like him. People who were jealous for God. People who were zealous for God. But in the moment had he lost focus on God, it was all about him. And maybe you're one of those this morning here today. You know, no one understands. No one has been through what I've been through. You don't know how that person has hurt me. You don't know the situation that I've been. You don't know what I've had to put up with my family. You don't know. You don't know. Only I know. And I want to say, if you're thinking like that, you've lost your perspective because the focus is not about you. The focus is about him. 
about God and we've forgotten. I, I want to say if you're like that, if you're thinking like that, you have forgotten who God is. Remember God, the God who showed up. He showed up in your worst times. He showed up when you've needed him. He's been there. And we have those moments, don't we, where we think, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I'm never going to forget this, but we do because we're fickle beings. You know, I have a number of videos. Um, they were on video tapes, you know, back in the day, which I've put onto DVD. But even they're redundant now, aren't they? Um, but I've got them on, on DVD, and it's of the girls growing up. And from time to time, I watch those videos. And they are moments when I watch them, and I say, oh, and I go all soft. <laughs> I go, oh, do you remember that? Do you remember that? And the reality is, is, is this, the truth is this. Had I not watched the video, I would have forgotten those moments. And yet they are moments where when you are in the moment, you think, I'm never going to forget this. But we do, because we are fickle beings. And Elijah had forgotten who God is. But the great thing is this. As God reminds Elijah that there are 7,000 just like him, the message to us or the reminder to us is that God will always preserve a remnant. When things are bad, when things look difficult, when, you know, the society and the world uh, seems to be um, totally negative, God will always preserve a remnant. God will always preserve and, and look after those who are for him, those who have not bowed the knee. And God had re reserved a, a, a preserved a remnant of some 7,000 in Israel. There are all sorts of things, friends, that we are facing at the moment in this world that are seeking to take us away from God. Competing demands, different voices. And we, as disciples of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be a people who guard the company that we keep, the things that we do. You see, it's too... What's the word? Too very often we see people who once walked with the Lord Jesus Christ and now they're engaging in things that they shouldn't engage with. And God is saying this morning, you know, the world might say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, just give this thing a little kiss. Just touch this relationship. Just stay here in this place until um, the right relationship comes along. Just do this. And every time we do that, we kiss something that we're not supposed to kiss. And I'm not talking physically, I'm talking spiritually. Whenever we kiss something we're not supposed to kiss, whenever we touch something we're not supposed to touch, whenever we find ourselves in a place that we're not supposed to be, we are giving away a little piece of our heart every time. That which is reserved for God until we find ourselves that we're so far removed from God, we wonder how we're going to find our way back. But God says, look, stop touching church. 
Stop touching the things that we're not supposed to touch. Stop kissing the things we are not supposed to kiss in society. Stop playing with the things we're not supposed to be playing with. They are all designed to take us away from God. Keep our focus on Him. Keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who God is. Hallelujah. Some of us need to make a decision today toward God. Some of us need to make a decision today that we are going to stand with Jesus. And you need to make the decision today because unless you make the decision today, you'll be making bad decisions tomorrow. And maybe some of you in this moment need to make a decision toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Make the decision today because unless you make it today, you'll be making bad decisions tomorrow or worse decisions tomorrow. Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name that in this moment you would just can bring a conviction on the hearts of those that need to return to you. I pray that you would bring a conviction on the hearts of those that have yet to make a decision toward you, Jesus. We pray that in this moment salvation would be renewed in the lives of men and women in the hearing of your word. Listen, if you are in the wrong place, and if and the wrong place, listen, the wrong place is if you are not, if you are not for Jesus, if you are not with Jesus, you are in the wrong place. And God is saying this morning, what are you doing here? For the believer, for the uh, disciple, we do not have the option, listen, we do not have the option of being in the wrong place. God is always surprised when he finds his followers, his people, in the wrong place, always. That's why he was asking Elijah, what are you doing here? Because he didn't expect to find Elijah where he found him. He shouldn't have been there. He'd forgotten all that God had done. Hallelujah. The second thing then, so first thing is that when we, when we um, take our eyes off Jesus, we always get a wrong perspective and we find ourselves in places we're not supposed to be. The second thing is this, is that forgetting God, taking our eyes off Jesus causes us to indulge in self-loathing. Not self-loving, self-loathing. We get, again, it's all wrong perspective. What are you doing here? Elijah sits in the cave and he's having a pity party. He's feeling sorry for himself. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. I don't think he was saying Jesus because he hadn't met Jesus yet, but he was singing that kind of song. And God says, what are you doing here? Anyone else, friends, can be in a cave, but not the believer. We have to be different. We have been called for a purpose. 
And God will always ask us, what are you doing here when he finds you in a situation that you are not supposed to be in? When he finds you in a place in your heart where he has not called you to dwell. And God has the right to ask us the question, what are you doing here? Because after all, wasn't Jesus in a place he wasn't supposed to be when he hung on the cross? When he bore our sin? When he was wrongly accused? And so God has every right to ask us when he finds us in, a wrong, in the wrong place, uh, either you know, in, in spiritually in our hearts or even physically in the world. He has every right to ask us, what are you doing here? What are you doing downcast? Am I not an all-powerful God? Am I not the God of fire, which Elijah had already seen? In fact, at the contest with the false prophets, when Elijah called God down from heaven, he said, God is a God of fire. He knew who God was, and yet in a moment he had forgotten. In a moment he'd forgotten who God is. And in that moment he's sitting in a cave, and he's looking for God. He's waiting for God. There's an expectancy to find God. And and again, how do we know? Because we read that when Elijah ran, He ended up on Mount Horeb. He was in a cave somewhere on Mount Horeb. Another name for Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And you'll know that Mount Sinai is a place where God met with Moses. And Elijah, somewhere in his distant memory, would probably have known this from the teaching. And so it's not an accident, I believe, that he ends up at Mount Horeb. I think he recognized that actually he'd, he'd forgotten who God is. He'd lost focus for a moment, and so he goes back to the place where he knows that God would meet him. And God comes in, he comes in the wind, a powerful wind, and he's looking for God in the wind, and God isn't in the wind. He come, then there's the earthquake, and God. And and, and God's not in the earthquake. And we know, we've seen the destructive power of earthquakes in recent times with what's happening in Turkey. We know how destructive and powerful they are. And then fire comes. And he, maybe he was expecting God in the fire because already he'd referred to God as the God of fire. And yet God wasn't there. Instead, God speaks to him in the quietness of a small voice. And when we find ourselves in difficult and testing situations, it's so easy to look for God in the big things. It's so easy to look for God in the spectacular. We we look for God in the big display. And yet God wants to speak to us every time, at every moment. And God wants to speak to us in the ordinariness of our daily living. And therefore, we should have an expectancy that as we go about our daily living, we can see God, we can find God, we can see God in every situation of our life. Not just in the big things, 
don't just look for God in the big displays, in the big moments, in the, in the powerful moments, but expect God to speak in the quietness. And it's great, you know, when we have moments like this, uh, we, like we've had this morning, where we've had a demonstration where people are hearing from God as we come together to worship him. Because God still speaks, and God wants to speak to his people. And God speaks in the still, quiet voice. Where are you, God? What are you doing? And he's asking God, speak. But listen to what God, how God responds in verse 15 to his asking and his inquiring. In verse 15, God says to Elijah, go, return on your way, to the wilderness of Damascus. Don't you find it annoying, I do, when sometimes, not very often, I choose to do my own thing, and then God comes along and says, I want you to go back to where you've just come from. Isn't it annoying when you make a decision that you want to go in a particular direction and so you go on your merry way, you're walking away. Maybe you're walking with a bit of swagger, you know, <laughs> spiritual swagger. And you, get, and you get to where you are going because that's where you want to be. And then God says, I want you to go back to where you've just come from. And so we are forced then bow our heads and take the walk of shame back to where we have just come from how many times have we been in that position how many times when we have sought to do our own thing we've we've sort of shut off God's voice we don't want to hear what God's saying in this moment because we want to do our own thing we want to go where we want to go and so we shut God out and we go somewhere we have no business being doing something we have no business doing touching something we have no business touching and God says go back to where you've just come from You see, God does that to us because when we choose to do our own thing, God sends us back on the way because when we're walking back, you can be sure that there is something that God wants us to pick up on the pathway back. Where, as he takes us back to where we've just come from, God, there is something along the path that God wants us to pick up and something he wants us to learn so that we don't make the same mistake again. We're fickle beings and we go through this cycle. We go through this cycle of doing our own thing, being sent back and learning, maybe learning something. And then we think we're okay and then we do our own thing and then we sent back and then we're learning something else. And we seem to be caught in this constant cycle of learning and, and going back and having to learn what God wants us to do and what he wants us to be. Elijah had forgotten who God is. And some of us today, I believe, have forgotten who God is. 
and you find yourself now in a place where you are impotent, you're powerless, you feel weak, you feel unable, just like Elijah. The funny thing about Elijah is he was running away because he was fearing death when he heard that Jezebel was going to kill him. So he ran away because he was afraid of dying. And then he gets to the cave and he sits down. And when he sits down in the cave, he said, Oh Lord, take my life. See, that's what happens when we lose our focus on God. We get messed up, we get confused, we lose our perspective, and we forget that God is able. And God has to come and remind us and ask us, what are you doing here? And when God asks us that question, his purpose is to recenter us, to recenter us again on Jesus. When God asks us, what are you doing here? His purpose is to take us back to a place where we can start again and we can learn something that he wants us to learn for our benefit and for our good as we continue to journey with him. Listen, life is complicated. Life is messy. But we don't let those complications and the messiness of life stop us. Don't let the, the difficulties and, uh, and circumstances of life um, incapacitate you. Things might be hard and shaky and uncertain, but don't allow those things to break us. God's intention is that we stand. When all is done, that we stand. Elijah had forgotten all the things that God had done for him, and he allowed those circumstances to render him powerless and lame. We have not been called to be cave dwellers, friends. God has given us a purpose. He has called us to something. And because he has given us purpose, again, when we look at Elijah's life, we see how many times God told Elijah, go, go, go. Elijah had purpose on his life, and likewise, we have purpose on our lives. And so we are not called to be cave dwellers. We do not have the luxury of sitting around doing nothing in some spiritual cave. You know, thinking, oh, I'm going to take it easy for a time. We don't have that option, friends, because God has put purpose upon us. God tells us to go. Jesus asks us to come. And so the question is, what are you doing here? What's going on in here? Let me finish with this. Charles Spurgeon said this, stand still, keep the posture of an upright man, ready for action, expecting further orders, cheerfully and patiently awaiting the directing voice. And it will not be long ere God shall say to you, as distinctly as Moses said it on, to the people of Israel, go forward. Go forward. Church, God is still speaking. God is still stirring hearts. And God calls us to, to fo keep our focus on him. 
When he says stay, we stay. When he says go, we go. But don't find ourselves, church, let's not find ourselves in a place where we have no business being simply because we've forgotten who God is.